was saying that right from the third verse in Genesis to the penultimate verse in Revelation, through the whole swathe of scripture, God speaks. He loves to communicate. And the other thought that was being expressed, and uh, it's a little bit shocking, is that it's good that he speaks because we're ignorant. You know, everything that we now know, we've learnt. It didn't get, it wasn't there when we began as little baby on day zero. We have learnt and we've heard and we've discovered. And that which we know has been given to us. Uh, and that's true of all the things in the world, and I pray it's true even more so in our time as we are reshaped in our thinking, in our conception, because God speaks. He reveals to us the things that are right and true, trustworthy. Amen? So I pray you go out less ignorant than you came in. You're welcome. Me too. Back to Romans, please. We're going to be in Romans 1. You know, Romans is one of those, but I first read it when I was a new Christian, and um, I, it's tough sometimes. It's, it's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff in it, but we're giving it a go. Don't let that put you off. I'm sure the Lord will speak. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of david and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with the power with power to be the son of god by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And so he continues. One of the things that you can't help but get even from those opening verses is how clearly the spotlight for Paul is focused upon Jesus. That right from his kind of introduction, saying Paul, he says, I'm a servant. Or uh, that phrase is, is often can be rendered a slave of Jesus Christ. One who has been bought, one who belongs to Jesus, called Messiah, set apart to be a sent one with the good news, the good news that is sent by God through people to the whole world. 
that he has promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And particularly in verse 3, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Regarding or concerning his son. It's about Jesus. It really is. It's all about Jesus. Uh, Some people were asked in a survey not so long ago in the midst of credit crunch and austerity, what concerned them most? And 98% of respondents said, the economy and money and employment. Good answer. Kind of less down the list, things like health, security, environment, and the education and education. Things that occupy our mind, things that focus our emotions of worry or anxiety, maybe condition our planning and our perspective of what next in this week, this year, and onwards in life. Things that shape our emotions and our attitudes. Are we positive and excited? Are we kind of looking forward to with expectation or are we anxious and apprehensive? What concerns us? When we regard the world and think about the world, what shapes us? For Paul, he has one concern only. Verse 3 stated clearly, regarding his son, concerning his son, God's son, Jesus Christ. And says that, that, it, that he was foretold, he was promised Um, through the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament, through the prophets, again and again. God had said, I will send a new king. I will send a new uh, rescuer, a deliverer that gets called the Messiah in Greek, the Christ. I will do this. I will come and make new and restore and reclaim and right the wrongs that you cannot do. Though again and again the prophets and the priests and the kings and the people have failed, God will do a new thing. No wonder Paul regards, focuses, concerned about Jesus. That that word in Greek of concerned or regarding is the word peri. Uh, I like little words. I was thinking of words that speak of, have that prefix peri. Any guesses of, any suggestions? Sorry? Go on. Peri peri sauce. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's hot sauce. <laughs> periwinkle. Yeah, periwinkle. Sorry, peripheral. It's around the edge. Perimeter. Again, there's that thing around the edge. Um, I did think of some more. Uh, peri Mason. Different spelling. Periscope. You know, the, did you? You didn't shout it. Periscope, that around look. And it, it does mean around, but there's more to, to, the, to how that sense of that word here in verse 3, regarding his son or um, concerning. It does mean concern to regard around. It often has a sense of nearness or a sense of, of touching. It speaks of closeness and connection. If you think of 
when Paul is speaking uh, regarding his son, concerning his son, Jesus. It's like that hub of a bicycle wheel. And ev- all the spokes, everything of that wheel is connected. Everything is rooted, found its location in Jesus. And that's true of us. That's true of, of Christian life. It's true of that which we think and we do, the songs that we sing, the character that is being formed in us, the expression of good news and the outward work of mission, whether in the workplace or we're concerned about the environment or how our family is getting on or, or financial crisis, we find all things must be connected and hubbed in Jesus. You see, Christianity, following Jesus, Paul rightly speaks in Romans so much that Christianity is about centering our life and our focus and our direction, whether individuals or as a church, into Jesus. Jesus comes from above and before and helps work all things through. One theologian said, the state, uh, religion, just describe religion like this, the state, religion is the state of being grasped by an ultimate concern. Religion is the state of being grasped by an ultimate concern. What's the ultimate concern of Christianity? Jesus. If the answer is anything less than Jesus, we are far from the mark. One writer puts it like this, the most important question concerning Jesus then is simply this, do we think he's alive or dead? If Jesus is simply dead, then there are a number of ways we can relate ourselves to his life and to his accomplishments. He's important. We might even, if some obscure bit of fact or data turns up, hope to learn something more about this historical Jesus. But we can't reasonably expect to learn more from him. It's done. It's it's past it's in our history but if he is alive everything changes it's no longer a matter of our questioning a historical record but a matter of our being put in question by one who has broken every rule of ordinary human existence if jesus lives then it must be his life giver jesus is not simply a figure of the past but a person in the present Not merely a memory we can analyze and manipulate, but an agent who meets us and confronts us and instructs us. What we can learn about him must therefore include what we continue to learn from him regarding Jesus. Not as a museum piece or a statue or as a piece of art that we go away and say, that's nice and come away with. But regarding him, concerning him, encountering him he is close by shaping and completing and radically redefining all that we are i knew that when i was at university in newcastle and and kind of adamant that christianity was just outdated and silly and and intellectually incoherent and and just a waste of time and I, i was arguing strongly for that position but as my kind of christian friends spoke of jesus to me they, they were kind of talking about it, them knowing him. And I was kind of rejecting that and rejecting that. I said, that's just nonsense. But they kind of pointed again and again back to his death and to his resurrection. It's there very much in Paul regarding his son, concerning his son, as who was to his human nature a descendant, a descendant of David. 
and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with the power to be God, the Son of God, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again and again they said, how do you account? How do you, how do you account for what Jesus does today? Just this morning in, in church we were praying for someone who's, who had really severe back pain and they were, they were healed. How do you account for that? And as an unbeliever, I was like, I can't. It's beyond my framework of thinking. But as I thought more and more about it, I kind of realized that this was true, that if Jesus was who he said he was and is who the Christians claim to be, alive, conquered death, risen, and it makes every difference. It really does. Every difference. And also I knew kind of that if that is true, that Jesus rose from the dead, I couldn't then kind of just think about him and consider him and kind of, well, park him on the mantelpiece or have him on the periphery. That if Jesus is the Son of God and died and rose again and is alive, it makes every difference to me. And there's no kind of second guessing that. There's no kind of wiggling out of that and saying, well, it's okay for some, or I can just carry on regardless. That if this is true, it's true. And his claims bear upon me and my life and my choices and what I do very really in the present. I understand what Paul is driving at regarding his son, concerning his son. That the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus himself, without any kind of qualm of embarrassment, in the end of Luke, after resurrection, said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said about him in all the scriptures concerning himself. Great book that I read a little while ago called um, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament that it points to Jesus. Again, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. It's about Jesus. It really is concerning regarding Jesus. I started off that, that way in my Christian life, just really zealous. I really was. I, I was just, I mean, I've I think I still am, um, but uh, I hope I still am. But that's the challenge, the newness, the freshness, the encounter with God, transforming my life as a 19-year-old. And I, I, my friend bought me a Bible the very next day after I'd become a Christian. And I sat down, and I, I, within about two weeks, I'd read the New Testament. And I said, now what? And they said, well, read the Old. And about two months later, I'd finished it. I said, now what? And they said, well, let's do it again. And I was like, well, okay. So I started again. Uh, the first week of becoming Christian, I, I wanted to get involved with things. It's great news, gospel. And I started to share uh, and to set up a little small group in, in the Hall of Residence. And as a kind of just looking and inquiring, do people want to find out about Jesus? And, and my Christian friends then thought, well, gosh, we better put one of our Christians who knows a bit more than Edward there because he might go a bit wacky. And, which is great of them because clearly I didn't know very much at that point. But I did know Jesus and wanted to know what I believed and why I believed it. And wanted to answer those questions that I'd had just a few months previously. 
to share my faith. Jesus, I remember talking to my mum and, and dad, and they said, you know, you're getting carried away. What about your, your marine worms and your periwinkles? And I wasn't bothered, to be honest, about them. And that's what led me away from marine biology, to wanting to serve Jesus, regarding him. But I must admit, there are times that I've found in my Christian life, and I see it in ministry, that you know, there are times that it's like Jesus is a jetty, and, and we're the boat. And it's great when the boat and the jetty are together, but, but you know, sometimes drift can happen. Once we went canal boating and my cousin was on it and he hadn't realized how far the canal boat had drifted from the canal bank and there was a great big splash as he thought he could step out. And sometimes you see people in panic because the boat has drifted a long way. And the metaphor is about how are we regarding, how are we concerned with Jesus? Are we, are we close with him? Or is there drift? Little by little, moving away. Little by little, sort of not really getting that it is about Jesus. It seems to be one of the characteristics of Christians that it's very easy to start well and with good intention and drift. To the Corinthian church, just after the letter of Romans, they were more concerned with kind of the charismatic experience and who was the kind of dominant leader and kind of wanting to just to fulfill their, their wishes and saying, well, we can do anything as Christians, can't we? Well, we're Christians. And Paul writes and says, no, you've drifted. Or to the church in Galatia, just after the letter to Corinthians, they'd sidelined Jesus because they were more concerned with their efforts to, to say, we, we want to justify ourselves. We're into good works and obeying a certain kind of law and standard and saying, well, we obey it. We're better than the others. Or the church in Colossians, they'd sidelined Jesus and were more concerned now about religious festivals and the food that they would eat and the spiritual experiences they could point to. And Paul calls them back and says, concern yourself with Jesus. Romans is all about Jesus. Uh, very early on, I was told C.S. Lewis, Lewis was a great writer. He is. And one of the books that my friends were reading was a, letter called uh, a book called Screwtape Letters. It's a funny book, and I read it. I didn't really understand it as a new Christian. I found it very odd. It's a, has anyone read it? It's a story that is written by a Christian, but sort of saying, what are the challenges Christians face, but done from the perspective of of two demons who are opposing Christians. And there's a senior demon, Screwtape, and there's the minor demon who's got the job of you know, hassling this Christian called Wormwood. And in one of those bits, Screwtape, this superior, instructs the junior like this. What we want, if people become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference, 
substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. And the point he's making that Christianity and soon becomes not Christianity. Because the thing displaces. Phil and I sometimes in meetings get a vexed when people say, well, I'm this sort of Christian, or I'm that sort of Christian, or we're all Jesus followers. Why are we prefixing or redescribing our loyalty and love for Jesus by a condition? And for us as a church, is Jesus Lord? And I wonder what the answer to this question I'm about to pose would be if we went out and asked people. Is Jesus the main attraction at your church? At our church? If people think of Chipping Camden Baptist Church, do they say that's the Jesus people? Even within the Christian community. Well, that's the church that's really good at kids' work or youth work. Well, that's the church that's really good at, at caring with the poor. Well, that's the church that sends lots of street pastors out. Or well, that's the church, all of those are fine. But actually, is Jesus known? Is Jesus close to us? And we're described as Jesus' people. If Jesus isn't the first thing that comes to mind when we describe a church, then that's a big challenge. In Revelation, Jesus speaks in his seven letters to the Ephesian church, and he says, starkly, you've abandoned your first love. Was there ever a time when Jesus was nearer and dearer to you? Make Jesus your concern. I love this. Uh, I read um, the autobiography of Spurgeon, and I quote it from time to time. And he kind of writes this when he reflects on his conversion. He says, I want to be a servant of him who became a, the servant of servants. I can say concerning Christ's religion, if I had to die like a dog and had no hope whatever of immortality, if I wanted to lead a happy life, let me serve God with all my heart. Let me be a follower of Jesus and walk in his footsteps. If there were no hereafter, I would still prefer to be a Christian and the humblest Christian minister to being a king or an emperor, for I am persuaded that there are more delights in Christ, yes, more joy in one glimpse of his face than is to be found in all the praises of this harlot world and in all the delights which it can yield to us in its sunniest and brightest of days. And I'm persuaded that what he has been till now, he will be to the end. And where he hath begun a work, good work, he will carry it on. In the religion of Jesus Christ, there are clusters, even on earth, too heavy for one man to carry. There are fruits that have been found so rich that even angel lips have never been sweetened with more luscious wine. There are joys to be had here so fair that even Kate's ambrosial and the nectared wine of paradise can scarcely excel the sweets of satisfaction. He's a poet, isn't he? That are to be found in the earthly banquets of the Lord. I have seen hundreds 
and thousands who have given their hearts to Jesus, but I never did see one who said he was disappointed with him. I have never met one who said Jesus Christ was less than he was declared to be. When, my f when first my eyes beheld him, when the burden slipped off my heavy laden shoulders and I was free from condemnation, I thought that all the preachers I had ever heard had not half preached. They had not told half the beauty of my Lord and Master. So good, so generous, so gracious, so willing to forgive. It seemed to me as if they had almost slandered him. They painted his likeness, doubtless as well as they could, but it was a mere smudge compared to the matchless beauties of his face. All who have ever seen him will say the same. I go back to my home many a time, mourning that I cannot preach my master even as well as I know him. And what I know of him is very little compared with the matchlessness of his grace. Would that I knew him more and that I could tell it out better. Regarding Jesus, have you, we, drifted? Or could we say in whatever words that would come, yeah, he is sweeter to me today, more amazing. And my love for him is more heartfelt. Paul writes to the Romans in his letter, say, look at him. And as we look at him, God's son, Jesus, is concerned or regards you. Back in the Psalm, Psalms, verse eight, yeah, chapter, Psalm 8, verse 4, what is human being that you're mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. God concerns himself, regards you. In a recent survey in the UK, we're a pretty uh, miserable bunch, 38% said they didn't even believe in God, let alone believe that God was interested in them. But it's true, God cares for us, for you and for this world, that we matter to him. In Luke 22, 32, when he's, a, he's a kind of close to his arrest and his betrayal and he, he's praying for, for Peter and saying, you know, uh, you're going to betray me. And Peter's kind of denying that. But Jesus uses these words. Luke records it. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That actually that word, but I've prayed for you, is actually this word about you, this peri. Jesus is saying, I am concerned for you. I am regarding, I'm concerned about you, Peter. Really concerned about your spiritual life, your walk, when you're so destitute and so demoralized by denying me and seeing what's happened. I have prayed for you, Peter, because you matter to me. God is concerned for us. He says remarkably in chapter 10 of Matthew, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from that of the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head numbered. That's because God regards us, concern for us. In this communion meal, in this, in this remembrance meal, we see how Jesus is concerned for us. How in the breaking of bread and, and pouring out the cup, he says, it implies it's broken for 
that he is thinking of us as we're invited. He is inviting us. He is welcoming us. He is making the way for us. He is sharing with us himself through his spirit. That he is praying for us and preparing us to send us out from this place into our lives. Indeed, when you think of the gospel of Jesus coming amongst us, the whole truth is God is concerned for us that he has come amongst us. The word made flesh and dwelling amongst us. That the crucifixion is dying for this world in order to reconcile the world to God. Even in the resurrection as God raises his son from dead, it's such that he is the first fruits from among the dead. The implication, the truth of that is we too will be raised. He's concerned for us. And we're even on Jesus' prayer list. Even now, on his heart and his mind, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Brother and sister, be mindful of his son. More than that, regard him. Not just as a piece of art. Be mindful of him. Concern yourself with him. Be about him. Because he is concerned for us. And more than just us, for those others outside these walls. And see, this bread, this meal, this, this reenactment that we'll share in a moment is about God's action in Jesus, his son. You see, the Gospels tell us and show us that Jesus is concerned about whether people have enough to eat and drink and their clothes that they wear. And he's concerned with the poor and the needy and the harassed and the helpless. You don't have to read too many pages about Jesus to know that he's concerned with the widow and the orphan and the leper and the outcast and the sinner. Such is God's goodness. That he's concerned with the oppressed and the diseased and the dead. He's concerned with the victims of religious abuse and political injustice. He's concerned with women and men caught in adultery. And he's concerned with tax collectors involved in fraud. He's concerned with the lost sheep gone astray. And he's concerned with the prodigals far from home. He's concerned with the nations of the world. He's concerned for the brokenhearted and the bruised. He's concerned with the destiny, the eternal destiny of us all. In other words, he's concerned with you and me. This is what this meal is about. God's son, Jesus, concerns himself with you. Concern yourself with him. I'm going to invite the group back.